But I guess I'd say, if it is just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Electric Entertainment. We are back with an anticipated episode that we have been... Oh my gosh, we've just been chomping at the bit to get this episode going. And actually, we've been waiting for a little bit of time because we pre-ordered this quite a while ago. It actually just arrived this week. So we're super excited. Welcome back to the Summer Block Party series that is going on right now. We're just making our way through... Uh, the summer series block party and are excited to have you all back with us we've we've been dropping some bonus content along the way as well if you haven't checked out a couple of our previous episodes we did the recent uh, releases that we've got hit in the mailbox some of the pre-orders that we have uh, that are out there and actually i know we've got a few more that we've had hit our mailbox and a few more pre-orders since the time we recorded that so i think that's the way we're going to kind of handle those from now on you know we talk about so much in our normal episodes we just have so much to cover in those and then we're going to do like bonus content episodes that we we get you guys um just a update on kind of what's hitting the mailbox and kind of what to expect for us to do reviews on talk about in future episodes another thing to look forward to when we get out of this series, we're going to move right into another one. So you're going to want to stay tuned for what we've got coming up next. I would say if you're not subscribed, you better be hitting that subscribe button. That way you're getting all the latest content that we're dropping because you're going to be hearing some pretty neat things coming at you soon. But we're not going to we're not going to share any of that right now. Just a little bit of a cliffhanger to be uh, checking out, making sure you're subscribed because there's some good things coming our way. So here we go uh ryan we've been waiting on this for quite some time um you know we've talked about it it was in the trailer the teaser we touched on it with our sci-fi episode that we kind of kicked the summer block party series off with and it actually has arrived and i know we've been binging this over the last couple days just actually you today i think so you're fresh off watching five hours worth of sci-fi content and what we're talking about is this right here this just dropped in the mailbox it comes with the documentary in search of tomorrow also comes with several posters some stickers and some really cool stuff it's got a little booklet on the inside but if you haven't seen this yet it's got a uh, little slip case there the documentary itself which we'll talk about here uh shortly a lot of the details of it but it's a very cool release you know we've got uh in search of last action hero uh we've talked a little bit about in search of darkness which part three will be coming later this year and we have been anticipating this for several months now in search of tomorrow the definitive 1980s sci-fi documentary ryan first take on this because i've got like 12 pages of notes here of just kind of watching through jotting some things down things that i wanted to talk about we're this is five hours worth of documentary and we're not going to spend a five-hour episode here but i want to talk about everything from kind of start to finish with this episode because there's so much with it uh but before we kind of jump into that 
Um, first off, how's it going? And uh, were you excited to see this hit the mailbox this weekend? Oh, yeah, it's going real good. Uh, went a lot better, you know, when we finally did receive it uh, in the mail uh, this weekend. It's uh, something, yeah, we've been waiting months and months on. I know we both pre-ordered it, I'd say, probably two, three months ago. And big major project by uh, the guys over at that company, Creator Creator VC, and it was really, uh, you know, uh, such a long process. I know they had been talked about for a couple of years, and then they spent years, uh, you know, in making this documentary from everybody who, uh, from all the the backers, you know, pre-ordering it because not just us, but uh, I think in that little booklet I read it, and they had over fifty. 15,000, 15,000 yeah. people backed um, this huge project. And and for the people behind it, the producers, I mean, it was a major undertaking because you're talking about just, you're not just talking about a handful of movies, you're talking about an entire decade. Oh my gosh, de- yeah. Yeah, to, dedicated to um, a genre that's very, um, not just important to people like us but um uh, a game changer in cinema um because when you think about sci-fi you're talking about some of the greatest films ever made and they kind of uh in that because you know you showed the physical copy of it and uh in the description of it um you know they say what it is It, it is it's uh it's a love letter to this uh specific genre and i mean yeah Going into it, uh, five hours. I'm because when you think about documentaries, uh, I know I've seen so many documentaries, and I know you have as well. They're typically anywhere from an hour, hour and a half, two hours, but we're talking about five hours. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you can't. It's hard to sit in like one setting to take it all in. I know. Um, I actually. Uh, started watching a little bit of it uh, just last night, and then I finished it up today. So I kind of took two. I took two settings to kind of get through it all, um, because it's a it's a it's a similar setup to their previous um, documentary in Search of Darkness, where they kind of go in chronological order of the decade. Basically, they go in year by year, um, and. With this documentary specifically, they start at the beginning from 1980, and they work they work every single year up until the end of the decade, 1989. Yeah, so you're going into uh, a very large library of films, uh, and I know uh, there's so many more out there, but um, I it, just like my initial kind of thoughts on the kind of films that were represented in the documentary um i think they did a just an outstanding job on uh uh touching on not just films that everyone remembers and knows like classics but they kind of sprinkled in a a couple kind of um under the radar films that weren't very successful yeah Uh, i like that nice blend of uh major blockbusters and um some that were um not very uh remembered you know what i mean yeah it was it was neat because there were a few i've never even heard of that were in this and and i did the same thing i i spent um most of yesterday 
I got through most of it yesterday, and then I had a little bit to finish up today with. Um, and it was very, it was very neat their approach that they took. It was very similar to In Search of Darkness, like you say. And we're going to get into this um, here in just a minute, but how they kind of weave in and out of each of those movies throughout each of those years, but also the way this one is set up with the chapters kind of in between each of those years, similar to the approach that they've taken before, and kind of touch on some other things that were happening during those years through that decade, not necessarily specific to any film, but how some of those films kind of related to the topic with each of those chapters in between those years. So I thought that was a very neat approach. I wanted to read just the first paragraph on the back of the physical release, and then we're going to dive right in. Um, I want to get some of the uh, specific things out of the way on this film uh, with this release in particular. I don't know. I know the unique thing about their releases, they do a Kickstarter uh kind of funding program to where they'll sell like as soon as they get started this started back in 2019 and then obviously covid had a huge impact on this film so it took three years to actually pull this together and um i'm sure it was it was not their plan was not to take that long to get this put together but obviously with a worldwide pandemic that hits right when they get started with this project it's going to impact it so this was highly anticipated by a lot and um for that very reason it took three years to to get here is why it was so anticipated but um the ceo and founder of creator vc robin block he actually did the write-up that you talked about. It comes with a little booklet inside of the physical media release. So I don't know how if, if this is going to be available again. I know they do different uh, times throughout the years that they actually sell copies of these, like In Search of In Search of Darkness and In Search of Tomorrow. I assume this will be available at some point in the future for a, another physical purchase. Yeah, real quick, they had posted through their Facebook page that um, they people can get in this month uh, on okay. ordering it, but obviously they won't be you know mentioned in the end credits like we had the privilege of getting um, yeah. with this. Yeah, and we'll talk about that too here in a little bit too because that's something cool that they do with all of these releases. Uh, but yeah, so if you haven't had a chance to pick this up, I would do it now because this is not available all the time um, throughout the year. It's only at certain times. And it's not available at like a lot of your uh, outlets where you can get physical media like Amazon, yep. eBay, Best Buy. You know, it's strictly uh, right through this company uh, that produced it. So yep. it's kind of rare kind of uh, physical media that, that you can get. Yeah, so they've got a website. Uh, this one is www.80sscifidoc.com. Dot com. I'll put a link to that in our show notes. Um, but if you haven't ordered it, I would I would suggest jumping over there and getting it while you can. Uh, so this release is a 2022 release. Just came out. Just uh, the physical copy just released. It's one disc Blu-ray. Uh, it's 300 minutes long. It's got English and Spanish subtitles, and it's a widescreen 16 by 9 Blu-ray high definition disc. And I have to tell you, the the picture on this was really good. 
Um, like I say, it was crowdfunded. Ryan mentioned there's 15,000 supporters that kind of got this thing kickstarted and really funded. Uh, you'll see all of their names kind of listed in the end credits, including ours, since we were kind of one of the early funders of this project. And that's what this is for. It's, it's created by the fans for the fans. And that's how all their documentaries have been. So real quick, the first paragraph on the back of the, this release, and then we'll jump right in. In Search of Tomorrow is a five-hour love letter to 80s sci-fi cinema, a nostalgic exploration of the impact and relevance of these beloved film classics guided by the iconic artists who made them and by those who were inspired by their futuristic visions and right off the bat as soon as this starts i mean you get a sense of they were not holding back on any expenses here um they chose i think the right people that were interested in being involved in this project to really sit down and have a deep conversation into all of these topics and all of these movies, and a lot of which were actors and uh, directors that were involved in all of these films way back in the day. So the first thing, it kind of opens up, and it starts where it starts with that moon, uh, moon face 1920s film, and it kind of just rapidly goes through some kind of science fiction films in those old cinema days and then it kind of kicks right into 1977 when you you see the thing that really kick-started a lot of the science fiction that we know know it today and a lot of people who have kind of followed suit with that that kind of model with George Lucas and Star Wars right 1977 was the definitive year I think that really got the sci-fi movement through the decade of the 80s kickstarted. And that's kind of where they start with with this documentary. Yeah, it was a landmark year, 1977, because not only did they uh, touch on uh, Star Wars, which was a great introduction to kick off this documentary, but also that year produced uh, Steven Spielberg's just classic Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which... Yeah. I'm going to uh, plug, I do have a letterbox review of that that I did a while back, but those two were very um, instrumental in uh, this this genre of sci-fi. It, they, they were both very different films, but it, it was a great, um, yeah, it was a great segue into inter- introducing uh, this decade that the, the documentary covered. Definitely. It was it was an interesting time during those times too, and they really capture this very well, I think, in this documentary. Because there were I mean, people felt like they were they didn't know what tomorrow was gonna bring. I mean, you look at what was going on during that time and, and you seen the Vietnam War, that whole era that was happening and um, you started to see this the arms race that was continuing on you started to hear a lot about like the global warming kind of starting to take effect us impacting the earth and the world as we know it and all of these things were kind of in the the feel of everybody at the time and you started to see these science fiction films kind of adopt some of of that into the filmmaking that they were doing but doing it in a way that kind of let you escape but also it wasn't afraid to touch on some of those very sensitive topics of the time too and and i felt like they just jumped right into that because that was so impactful during that decade 
and kind of the rise of the science fiction era that that we know it to be yeah they uh especially in i just think they definitely like edited the documentary very well with showing that like you had mentioned earlier the chapters in between uh the discussions of each of the years how they it really was a reflection of what we were going through at that time as a society you can kind of uh they really relied on and pulled from a lot of real life topics and issues uh and you you really seen that in a lot of these different movies yeah Um, in in so it may like i know they had mentioned this too it was like people felt like they were just very small in the world that was going on around them and when star wars came along it was like that totally changed it so it was like george lucas and and you even mentioned steven spielberg those guys were ones that stepped into that time and brought the big picture to address those issues but also give the escape to people to know that tomorrow will get better tomorrow can be better and that's what that science fiction that they brought to the cinemas to us did for us and it just kind of launched the 80s for this sci-fi explosion yeah lucas and spielberg they i mean they were such a true testament to it especially those two films star wars and close encounters they were able to um not be afraid in uh what they were trying to present I mean, because both of their films, they were to- completely two different ideas. You got one uh, about uh, aliens from outer space and Close Encounters. Uh, we had seen it before in a lot of older uh, sci-fi films from the 50s and 60s uh, about possible invasions and whatnot. Um, but he was able to kind of bring to the forefront, um, l- much on like a larger um, grand scale, uh, this n- idea of, um, like you said, um, kind of the, a little bit of a fear of what is out there and w- what could come here. Uh, and then with Star Wars being this kind of, yeah, space, um, this huge space opera and what, what they really did with those films, um, uh, as we get uh, into discussing them uh, right before 1980, it really um, helped this sci-fi genre just explode in that decade. Yeah. And I mean, this decade was for the sci-fi genre probably the biggest um, and probably most profitable decade uh, for sci-fi films. Um, because I think uh, if you didn't have those kind of films from those directors, um, I don't think a lot of other directors and a lot of uh, studios would have took the chance on a lot of these films that um that did come out in the 80s that we that we'll be discussing yeah but uh, they were a true yeah they were a a very important part in um i think ushering in this new very innovative time in cinema because and we'll talk about it too uh just some of the the effects and, and a lot of the advancements that we had seen in a lot of these different films from not just practical effects, but um, some of these films, you start kind of, you started seeing the beginnings of like CGI, yeah. and 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 you can only really get that in these kind of dif- these certain films. So, so yeah, oh, yeah. So but, I was, um, so David uh, Weiner is the guy that actually 
put this film together um, in partnership with, and, and I, I think he's part of the team with Creator VC. Um, we had mentioned the CEO, but David Weiner is actually the guy that that pulled a lot of this together and is actually, um, this is a film by him. So all of that kind of opens up to where we get started. And all of these films, it covers uh, five hours worth of um, documentary of 1980 to 1989. I know you'd already mentioned that, but that kind of leads, that's the kind of the start of the film and it leads up to 1980. So this is also when we seen a lot of like, to advertise films back in in the day, it was you you had to go to the cinema, right? You went to the movie theater, and it was the poster art that you seen what was coming out uh, in whenever it was for the next film that would be released in the theaters. That's how you advertised. Internet wasn't a thing back then, right? And and the crazy thing is, a lot of these films got so much publicity and traction. But it was all through the theaters that they advertised through this poster art. And they talk a lot about that, too, early on as they kind of st- get started uh, with this documentary. Because that's what we've seen a lot as we transitioned into the VHS days of us go. And you kind of get a feel for that, too, with this this uh, documentary style. Because it's similar to what they've done with um, In Search of uh, Darkness and whatnot. It feels, it, you kind of zoom, you see a wall full of... Uh, the cover art VHS, and then you zoom in to the specific one that they're going to talk about, which you've seen that early on too. the transition from the theater into the VHS stores, which the 80s were so well known for. The, the cover art was what you actually picked up, looked at and decided, yes, this is a film I want to I want to rent, take home and watch. And, and that was a transitional time, too, that we've seen. So you got amazing cover art with the releases of a lot of these films, too. You think of Star Wars, um, even Close Encounters, um, countless others, Jaws. A lot of those films had just beautiful art on the posters, which carried over to the VHS boxes because that's that's basically what sold the film, right? That's what got me or you at the time uh, to pick it up off the shelf and rent it. Yeah, and what you brought up with the whole internet thing. Yeah, because now we we we've grown to accept and and know that you know we can jump right on the internet and and uh, in ten seconds we can pull up a movie trailer and and watch it right from our phone, right? We have that luxury of um, having instant access. Yeah. But back with that marketing uh, ploy, um, another thing that I think a lot of these studios um, kind of uh, gravitated towards was also um, they looked into their marketing with um, kind of like product placement, kind of a little bit. And you'd see you've seen that with a lot of these films how they would partner with like a lot of companies and would put their uh, products uh, throughout uh, certain films. Yeah, it, it was just another kind of another technique or, or another aspect to help put the word out on whatever movie it is. Because uh, if you're able to um, get more eyeballs on whatever whatever it is you're trying to get people into the theater to see. Uh, putting products uh, partnering with these whatever company it may be um it's just a great tool to um uh to have that film um 
out there on kind of a broader scale, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, and we'll touch on that here too in a little bit because I know one of the chapters that they talk about was that marketing piece too and um, kind of the consumer piece around uh, some of these films. So we'll we'll definitely touch on that in a bit. So let's jump right in. 1980s, that's when we seen it all start. The first film that they talked about was Saturn 3 with Kurt Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. Is this a film that you had seen before? Oh no, not at all. I I hadn't even heard of it before. What what about you? No, it's not. It's so it's some so what you're going to find out there's several within this throughout that decade that I haven't seen that I hadn't heard about that piqued my interest. Now I've got to go find so that way I can uh either stream it or find it on a physical media release so that I can actually watch it cuz a lot of these looked really good and I was surprised I hadn't heard of them. Yeah, this, so this one, being like this very, yeah, this very first one, Saturn Three. What it kind of made me think about and remind me of was almost like those kind of B movie days back in like the drive-in like theater era. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like they, they made on very very low budget, like and 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 across the screen from from scene to scene, how it's shot. You can tell it's very low budget, but yeah, it made me think back um, uh, with this film, uh, like 50, you know, fifties, sixties. So yeah, this is one that, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you and me had never even heard of it. Yeah, I didn't even, didn't even know it existed. So um, having that in this documentary, um, I'm, I'm glad that they uh, took the time to uh, discuss this film. A little bit, you know. And they didn't short any of those either. Now, obviously, some of the big uh, big blockbusters that we're going to talk about and we're getting ready yep. to talk about uh, with the next one, they, they spent a little more time on. But even these ones that aren't well-known, that you haven't heard a lot, they they spent some time with each of those as well to kind of talk about the impact of the film, talk with uh, those that were either involved or had some involvement at the time Uh, give a little bit of their take on so i was happy they gave somewhat equal amounts of time to all of the movies that they included in this like i say they spent a little bit more time on some of the ones that we're going to talk about um which the next one that they spent quite a bit of time on because it was so impactful but you're going to get a good balance of uh kind of details and about the film and and whatnot with each of these that they talk about on here. And the other thing too, with the chapters in between the films, they kind of give snippets of other films that give you the, the title of the film and the year that it was released at the bottom left hand side of the screen. So there were other films throughout this that they didn't talk about, but they showed just a highlight of as they were talking about other things that there's a whole list of films in the credits that you can go through. Uh, So, I've got to go back and just kind of check all the other ones that I may have missed that I just didn't have time to catch uh, when they when they were showing it on the screen. So the next one though is a big one, and it's one of the most impactful. Uh, and it kickstarted 1980. And what we're talking about here is Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Um, what I found interesting on this Ryan with Han Solo 
the reason that they froze him in carbonite was that they didn't know if he was going to come back for any of the future movies that were going to come out. So that was a way that they could kill him off, but yet bring him back if he decided to sign the contract. Yeah, I found it interesting um, that they had discussed this backstory uh, involving those three actors in Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford. Yeah. Because what was interesting about it was Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill had a, uh, the same contract where they had a three-picture deal yep. with George Lucas in the studio uh, for the three Star Wars films. And Harrison Ford's contract was a little different, but and it was a contract per picture. Yeah. So that was yeah that and I didn't know that, that I didn't either. That's either. very yeah. Um, and so it but it makes sense that that's why they came up with that storyline of um, freezing uh, at the end of Empire because yeah they didn't they had no idea if he was going to come back for the. <laughs> Can the, you imagine uh, if he didn't come back? It would how how different that story or that trilogy of movies would be without him. I mean, because you look at it in the last one return of the jedi i mean he played a big pivotal part yeah uh, in in the resistance in defeating uh the evil empire so it yeah it have been a, a much different movie um uh, it hadn't come back so uh kudos to him harrison ford uh in coming back because i i, I, I he was one of the um I, and i kind of wish they could have scored an interview with him because i would have loved to have heard heard him talk a little bit about yeah. those three pictures he was in because he was uh, his Han Solo character I mean it was probably one of the the, the more memorable characters uh, in in the the franchise of Star Wars so yeah uh, but yeah it um, but yeah especially stories like that uh, that's what what yeah when you think when you think you know all about Star Wars, you find yeah. something that you didn't even didn't even yeah. realize, and that's what's so good about this documentary. Now the next one I didn't know either. Galaxina. Have you heard of this one or ever seen it? I so I'd never seen it, but I'd heard of it because of the late the woman that's in it. I mean, yeah. everyone Dorothy Strant, yeah, Stratton, her, yeah, Dorothy, yeah, and um, she was uh playboy playmate right i believe yeah i believe that's what they said yeah yeah she was a real big uh playboy playmate but she had like she had like died unexpectedly um that was the big thing yeah um but yeah i'd never seen it uh but i'd heard of it so have you had have you ever seen it no i i hadn't and well the way they described it was like a parody movie of like star wars star trek but she was like an android in love with a human yeah. sergeant. I guess Sergeant Thor is what uh, who she was in love with. So I hadn't, but they did make mention of um, she was was she did she unexpectedly or was she murdered? Yeah, you might be right. I she think, might have been murdered. I think yeah. she was murdered at the time, which kind of brought a lot of light to this movie. But it's still one I had not ever heard of or watched. But then the next one I have heard of, and actually I just recently bought it, Blue Underground, I think, is who released this one on, I think I got it on a Blu-ray, but have actually released it on a 4K, and that's The Final Countdown. And this was like a time travel uh, dilemma kind of movie. So the, the 
question was, if we travel back in time, can we change the future? Or if we could travel back in time, would we change the future? And that's a big question that you see in a lot of science fiction movies. And we'll talk more about when we get a little bit later. But it's like, if you could go back and change something, would you? But then if you did, what would be the impact of that change? And how would we know our world that we live in now if we could have went back and changed like a, a catastrophic event, right? So that's kind of what that film touches on. Have you ever watched The Final Countdown? I have, yeah, because it deals with probably one of the biggest moments in our, probably the history of the world or specifically our uh, nation's history in uh, uh, 1941. Everyone, Amber, everyone knows. Yeah, and it... Um, so it was a neat kind of story for uh, especially sci-fi to, um, like you said, go back and it, it, it's that what if, what if yeah. scenario. What if we could uh, correct the past to benefit our future? Because that was that was a very, um, very big, impactful moment uh, uh, in like in the history of time and. And it's, uh, it was, I don't, I don't know if it had like a big budget, um, uh, because you kind of can see some of the scenes that they, they'd shown in the documentary. Um, I think it was, uh, maybe a little lower budget. Yeah. Uh, It's a classic. It is. Um, I think I only have a, I think I have a DVD copy of it, so I don't have a Blu-ray or 4k, but yeah, um, they just came out with the 4k not too long ago. Yep. Yeah, so that's the cool thing about a lot of these older films, too, that a lot of these boutique labels are coming out with re-releasing them in a 4K format and then giving you a lot of the extras, too. So that's the nice thing, and we talk about it every episode nearly. Getting the physical copy, you get a lot of extra content and bonus features that you can kind of learn more about the film. So kind of what this does, it touches on each of the movies and gives you some things that you weren't aware of or didn't know about. But when you get a physical media copy, you just get so much more um, that's included. So the next one that uh, they, they touched on, which uh, we've talked about soundtracks before, um, and this one played a big part uh, in this movie, the soundtrack did, and that's Flash Gordon. And the artist that did the soundtrack for it is Queen. And I know you just recently watched a little bit of Queen. Uh, not the real Queen, but... Um, yeah. yeah, so that was, a, that was a unique film to actually have a well-known artist like that do the full sound, soundtrack. Now, it become a thing because they created music videos and, and whatnot and still do with some of the music that, that are in films. Um, but have you watched Flash Gordon? Uh, no, I haven't, but I have, uh, I've heard, I had heard of it. Yeah. Cause it obviously of queen, uh, they were, um, at the time, probably the biggest rock band in the world. And, you know, for them to, um, uh, to not just put their music in it, but write original, like original, like they wrote, I mean, the song, uh, of, uh, the the song title of the movie is uh, uh, Flash or Flash Gordon. Yeah, and that was um, kind of a really cool thing at the time because I know in the documentary 
some uh, one of the producers they had interviewed, um, they weren't too keen on having Queen be uh, have their music in the film. They didn't want Queen in yeah. the uh, beginning, which kind of surprises me. I'm like, they're probably probably the most um, recognized <laughs> act in the world, and you don't want them to yeah, grace you. I was surprised by that too. Crazy, um, but I actually think Queen helped. Um, because you know, Flash Gordon, everyone knows Flash Gordon. It was one of the early, one of the oldest comic book. Um, it's been around forever. But what Queen I think helped do with this um, version of Flash Gordon was really um, kind of modernize, modernize it. You know, bring it to uh, a more modern audience. Yeah. And I, I actually I like the song. I don't know about you. Have you have you have you had ever? heard that song by queen before yeah i actually picked this one up arrow video released it on a 4k so yeah it it's a uh i'm not gonna say it's a great film but it's uh it's definitely an okay one but the music in it i think is what makes makes the film but yeah i've i had heard that not too long ago i think i actually picked it up um from best buy i think they actually ran it on sale and seen it was there good price so i picked it up and Glad I did. So this is kind of where they started um, to do another chapter break before they get into 1981. And what they talked about was the Cold Year kid or Cold Year Cold War kids and nuclear technology. Uh, like at that time, nuclear weapons was a big part of science fiction films, and that was the scare of the time. What happens if nuclear weapons are used because the weapons were there to be used in time of war and what you've seen was a lot of these filmmakers kind of take that into uh, their filmmaking you look at Cameron uh, James Cameron films and uh, you've seen nuclear weapons that were utilized in it which we'll talk about uh, the movies that kind of really showcase that in particular with like Terminator 2 uh, which was later in that that uh, decade, but The Abyss, Aliens, you've seen a lot of these science fiction films that started to kind of showcase that and really show the uh, results of nuclear warfare uh, because it was such a, um, a relevant topic at the time. And, and I think they seen that and pulled that into the science fiction films that they were doing because it was such a discussion point. So any thoughts on kind of the chapter break here with um, the nuclear technology that was being discussed and some of the films that you've seen that kind of be a part of with what was going on in our world? Yeah, I, I really think it, it was a kind of a really good tool to make people uh like the audience the moviegoers like really make people think um that these are things that um you're not just seeing it uh in a movie but it th these are things that could really happen to us as a as a society it could really happen in real life because we, we were i mean at that time early 80s we were on the brink of um uh a possible nuclear war there was i mean we were there was a movie um that they mentioned in it the day after have you ever watched <clears throat> the day after 
I, I know Kino, Kino Lorber has a release of it, and I had one of the guys that I, I follow, a uh, YouTuber, he had mentioned that movie, kind of about, uh, about it being really a, um, one of the most terrifying because it shows you the results of nuclear warfare, and if it actually, if we had nukes that dropped on uh, the United States, the results of what that would be. And it's pretty gruesome because um, I watched some snippets of that. I've not watched the film, but watched some uh, clips of it on YouTube. And it was like the most watched TV movie of the time. And, you know, it, it is a very scary thing. And, and even now, I mean, we, we think about it. But back then, just the unknowns that were around it would, would just be terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a film that I had uh, heard of. I'd never seen it, but I had heard about it. Um, I'd seen it on another documentary. It was an 80s documentary where um, they had talked, briefly mentioned it, brought it up uh, about uh, what they had brought up in this documentary about, yeah, it was it was the most watched uh, t- made-for-TV movie of all time. But, um, but, I mean, that's why it had so many viewers. Like, people tuned in because um, uh, I, I think they had a pretty big um marketing ploy behind it but but the big thing was people really wanted to um uh kind of know firsthand or see for themselves like what um i i guess the end of the world would possibly look like if 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 that would ever happen um yeah. between um countries at war and it, it is it definitely is a scary thing um I know that so many people, um, you, you know, you'd like to think um, you, you live your life day to day and um, you, you live the comfort of your own home and you, you want to think you're always safe from everything. But every day something happens or every, every day uh, different things can change and um, and things like that, even though it's like in a movie, I mean um, – it, it kind of um, reflects on reality and it's something that um, could possibly happen in the future. And so um, I, I think it was a very, and I'm glad they, uh, even though it was a, a TV movie, I'm glad they brought it up and talked about it in this documentary because I really think it coming out in 1981, I think that movie the day after, um, I think it was um, kind of the beginnings. It, it, it it kind of um, foreshadowed a lot other sci-fi films that came out later in the decade um, that really, really touched on this notion of uh, uh, world war, you know? So, so 1981, then it kind of gets the start uh, and we're going to start moving quickly through these because we got, we got what, eight more years to go. Uh, 1981 shrinking movies, the incredible shrinking woman. I've never seen this one. No, me neither. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd heard of the idea or concept of shrinking movies, but I've yeah. never, no, I'd never, I've never heard. And I think it, the only one I remember is like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the woman that was in this movie, she was kind of a well-known actress. I can't remember her name off yeah, the top of my head. Either. She, um, she'd been in a lot of things and, um, 
but yeah, this was kind of a, a another kind of low budget uh, that they kind of highlighted, which I'm glad they did because uh, it, it was brought to my attention because I never heard of it. So yeah. it's it's and I might try to seek out in a yeah, physical for sure. form. So the next one, a social commentary about out of control, the out of control economy and out of control people, starring a Sean Connery outland yeah this one um i had heard i'd never seen it before but i had heard of it um just because of him i mean he everyone knows him from uh being james bond right i mean that was his claim to fame and so this was kind of a um kind of a kind of off the beaten path kind of film for him to do um i know that um I think they kind of touch on the documentary. I don't, they had had someone first in my, or someone else besides him, I think in mind for the picture. Um, I don't think they wanted to go with him, but they ended up going with him. I think, do you remember that? Yeah, I I do remember something like that. Yeah. There was like a, I don't know. There was something like they wanted someone else, but they want, I think he was too much. So they, they went with him, but, um, so the next one yeah. I have heard of, and this one's about truth, justice, and the American way, starring a Christopher Reeve, Superman Two. Yeah, you got to enjoy we- some uh, good superhero movies of the time. I, you know, I I think the uh, Superman movies of that time, Christopher Reeve, I think did a phenomenal job of portraying Clark Clint, Clark Kent and uh, Superman in all those early Superman films. Yeah, it this was um probably one of the biggest um superhero franchises that really um came out in the 80s definitely. And this was kind of the early beginnings of uh kind of what we know now as superhero film because I mean, you can go to the movie theater now in today's modern era and about every other week yeah. there's a Hero film out, but that wasn't the case back then. No. Back in the eighties, you'd be lucky to see maybe two superhero films to come out in one year. But now, in a year, we now have they come out two. every other week. Yeah, every other week. So, <laughs> so um, I'm glad they kind of touched on superheroes, uh, superhero films in this uh, documentary because superhero films, especially Superman, uh, I think was a big factor in in the sci-fi genre. Uh, definitely. Um, Definitely with super, uh, Superman. Yeah, and I think uh, for the next one, one of the directors that we really appreciate and I think has, we've talked about him before because um, he's done a lot of work in the horror genre, but also in the science fiction genre and has done a tremendous job with each of the films that he has done. And a guy that's worked on a small budget, um, very small budget, and has been tremendously successful John Carpenter, Escape from New York, came out in 1981. And this was kind of, um, I think Nick Castle was the writer, uh, actually the star of uh, Halloween, Michael Myers himself, uh, which I was surprised how much writing Nick Castle has done. That's another thing that I learned uh, through this documentary. I was surprised at how much he's done in his career besides just acting. Well, also, too, uh, because... Escape from New York is actually a film, um, probably one of the few John Carpenter films that I've, I've never seen. I've never 
seen Escape from New York. But what I found kind of neat was I, I I could see that John Carpenter kept a lot of close relationships with a lot of these actors and actresses because yeah. you see like see uh, Tom Atkins, Kurt Russell, uh, yeah, Kurt Russell. You see um, uh, Adrian. Uh, I can't remember her last name, but she was in uh, his movie, The Fog. So you see John Carpenter uh, returning to a lot of these um, actors and actresses, that's bringing he, them back. Yeah, and that's what he did good at. He he made sure it was like a family. And, and he yeah. was interviewed on, on this, which I was so happy to see they were able to get an interview with him. Um, and I think he does a lot of that anyways, but that's what his approach was. He wanted to make it like a family with the movies that he was doing. And I think it comes, comes across in a successful way because of that, because of those actors knowing each other and been involved with so much. And I think that's why you've seen so many successful films by, um, by John Carpenter, because that was his approach with most of them. Yeah, it was. And he, especially with escape from New York, he, he was, he was one of those few guys who, and we've kind of talked about it before. He's one of the ones that, um, he's like a rare director where he can, he can do that yeah. crossover from genre to genre. And, um, and, and so th- this will definitely be a film that, cause I mean, I'd always known about escape from New York. I just, I'd never, I'd never owned it, never seen it. So it's actually definitely one I'll, I'll definitely be picking up from, from this documentary. Cool. And a recent one that I did pick up because they had a recent release of it on a 4k steel book. And that's heavy metal though the uh, animated science fiction kind of counterculture film. I've not watched it yet and I've never watched heavy metal, but I've heard a lot of good things about it, but it's definitely kind of a, a raunchy kind of <laughs> yeah animation this, film. This was one. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard of it. I've just never seen it. Cause I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not big. I'm not super big on animation, but I remember you telling me you picked it up, but it yeah. was, yeah, it was kind of an oddball to be thrown in on this documentary, but it was kind of a nice change of pace a little bit when, yeah. when they... Well, um, I think the big thing uh, on it, too, was the music soundtrack because they, yeah. they wanted to really touch on that because MTV was so hot at the time, and what you seen was the music that was in films, not necessarily this one, but this one was loaded with a lot of great heavy metal kind of music, but a lot of the films... Um, they really touched on that was, uh, and, and we'll get to it here in a minute, but they kind of te- took the music in the movies and made music videos out of. So I can see why they included it, but also Elon Musk, you know, we, we've talked about and everybody kind of hears about Elon Musk in the, in the news almost on a daily basis, but Tesla put a car into space and it was very similar to like the opening of heavy metal. So I kind of see where he got, why he wanted to do what he did. And they actually have a clip kind of side by side of the opening of heavy metal. And, uh, with Elon's Tesla floating in space with like some fake astronaut sitting in the driver's seat. So it's kind of funny, a little neat, but I'm definitely going to be checking that one out here soon. This is when we get another chapter break before the next, uh, year in the eighties. And they're talking about building better worlds. So, uh, straightforward film extraordinary kind of imagery that they used but trying to paint what the future looks like and i think that is really what we 
always do. What does tomorrow look like for us? You know, we, we think of spaceships, you think of weapons, you think of costumes, all that within these science fiction films. And they were always trying to predict what the future is going to look like. So I thought this was an interesting chapter that they kind of touched on with what does building a better world for tomorrow look like? Well, and it was a great segue into, I think, probably one of the the, the most um, important years that's discussed in yeah. this documentary with 1982, because 1982 produced what we'll, we'll oh, get yeah. ready to uh, is probably one of the one of the biggest sci-fi films of this decade yeah let's talk about them so kickstart in 1982 they they even mentioned it being a significant year the first one that they talked about was mad max and uh road warrior so i know there's several mad max films but this was kind of that punk rock kind of science fiction type film that was a little different than the normal science fiction films that you were seeing um of that time so I've, I've actually seen the Mad Max films. I enjoy them, and um, it's kind of... There's a couple of them that they touch on within this film. There's Road Warrior, and then there's um, Thunderdome, which will come a little bit later. But it was, I, I thought, a very interesting uh, discussion around Road Warrior. Any thoughts on that? Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I mean, I'd, I had heard of them, because the, the, there's a couple of them in the series, but... Um, I just, yeah, I'd never, um, I'd never like own the physical copy or yeah. I've never streamed it. Um, but it is, um, um, a couple, yeah, there are a couple films that I probably will end up checking out, um, because there's a lot of science fiction, uh, in that, in them as well. So how about the next one here on the list? Star Trek. Have you seen the Star Trek films themselves? Star uh, Trek two came out in 1982. Yeah, I, have the yeah you know, i've got the star trek uh film collect blu-ray collection of okay. all the star trek that um because pretty much all of them came out in the 80s but um this but one yeah, was, was pretty super controversial with spock dying in part two so if you haven't seen it spoiler alert there yeah. uh, but it was like a so there was a lot of pressure to make a second because the first one really wasn't a success that they had seen it was yeah. kind of coming off the, the um, I mean, you had Star Wars, which was super successful. Star Trek really wasn't so much. So Paramount was kind of taking a risk there to bring back a sequel. And then they kill off Spock. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what are you, what are you doing? Well, so, I, I think their, like, I don't know, idea of that was, like, anything that would was going to follow a Star Wars was going to feel like a ripoff kind of yeah. Yeah. Speak. So I I think they kind of needed to inject some sort of um, shocking um, kind of plot or storyline and um, and yeah I mean that was yeah controversial <laughs> but I mean it had people talking right yeah well and and yeah it would go on to actually paint a pretty good story with a trilogy of movies that followed uh, the first one so we'll talk about that here in a minute but speaking of Steven Spielberg which we touched on early here. Um, this one, wow. Talk about a science fiction film that the way they put it, I thought was uh, the right way to put it. It was our generation's Wizard of Oz. And the movie I'm talking about is E.T. So there's so much to talk about with E.T. It was storytelling. And I know um, really what they had, 
talked a lot about with this film was character building and it all being about the characters. It just really kind of touched your heart. It's a heartwarming story. Uh, we've, we've said that before. Um, but it was really supposed to be a small film between some blockbusters that Steven Spielberg was working on. And this has come to be his most successful film really, I think of all time. Right. So it was really, I think a, a pivoting point too, where our like families in that time were kind of changing too. So you've seen a lot of like single parent homes that was really kind of seeing a lot more of. And this one starred a really strong mother that, um, while everything was kind of changing around with families, they, they pictured this strong mom for this family that was really kind of, the kids were trying to protect this extraterrestrial and trying to just get it back to where it needed to be to get it home. And you seen the government coming down on them to try to um, capture E.T. And it was just such a great story and one that just continues to be great. It, it's just so fitting for any time that you're in. You can always go back to it. One thing that I found interesting in this that I didn't know uh, was that they used Reese PCs on this because M&Ms turned them down from being able to be used in the film. Talk about a stupid mistake on M&M's part. Yeah, I know. They probably uh, lost out on millions and millions. Oh and gosh. Um, I think what E.T. was able to do um, was kind of bring the child actor and actress kind of to the forefront so to speak and and we'll we'll touch on some of these films later in the decade but you start to see more uh of these sci-fi films uh especially with et really highlight um these young kids and they were the stars right they were They, they they're going on these adventures and having these uh kids in these roles um I mean, really helped uh, the young audience. I mean, made them was it helped them uh, make them become very relatable to them. Yeah, and like, it kind of gave a, a picture into suburban life too, and the kids that kind of were living in those places at the time. That that was kind of a new thing too that you didn't really see on screen a whole lot. Right? Yeah, you um, like with the whole family uh, dynamic. I mean, it was. Um, these kids um, forming these relationships and bonds and um, um, and these friendships that I mean for me because I've seen ET so many times. Yeah, I remember the first time that I'd ever seen it. I was very young, which I'm sure you were young too when you first seen it. Yeah, but it makes you want to. Um, it makes you want to be there. It makes you want to go on these adventures with these kids. So I will tell you, Ryan, and in, in like if you ever get to, because I don't know how much longer they will do it at Universal Studios down in Florida. It's like the last remaining original ride that they had of that kind of 80s decade. I rode it when I was a little kid when we went uh, to Florida. I don't remember how old I was, but I recently, going back to Universal Studios as an adult, got to ride it with my daughter and it was like, Oh my gosh, it just makes you feel like you're in the movie at the time. And it's like you said, you just want to be there. You want to be on that adventure to be part of, of that movie. 
Yeah, I think probably what I took away or what I've always taken away from that film, uh, E.T., is it, at the end of the day, it, um, especially with uh, the E.T. character, it, it, it just it makes you feel it makes you feel something you yeah. feel something when you're watching that picture yeah. like that movie it's it, it yeah the, just, it they, on your heart. they summed it up yeah exactly they summed it up by saying it surpasses the brain and goes straight to the heart i couldn't agree more because that's exactly what it does it it just it it's something that and you can watch it over and over and over again and get the same feeling each and every yeah. time. So the next yeah. one, uh, Blade Runner, this one was definitely kind of a, a it for its time was uh, such a great movie and had a lot of just kind of the technology futuristic feel of kind of what it will look like um, kind of in the fu- future. The part of it that was interesting that I didn't know as well was I guess the narration early on in that film, which I never thought it was terrible, terrible, but as I watched it and they talked about it, it was like, yeah, this kind of does seem a little strange, but they wanted instead of the viewer to just kind of paint the picture of what was going on, the studio wanted them to narrate it at the beginning to really tell them what was happening. And, uh, they, they tried to do it in the worst way possible so that the studio wouldn't use it, but they ended up using it anyway. So I found that pretty interesting because I was like, yeah, I didn't. Now that you mentioned that, it does kind of seem a little odd that they've got this narration going on in them being such successful Hollywood actors didn't do a very good job at narrating it. So it was it was another little nugget of something that you learn as you watch these documentaries. Yeah, like Ridley Scott, he, um, the director of it. Yeah, he did not. He didn't want no narration at all. In yeah, it. And, and so yeah, his idea was, um, you know, I'll come up with the crappiest thing possible, and <laughs> and and of course they'll be like, oh, they'll never use it, and, and they sure did. Freaking <laughs> studio put it in there. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, I, when you're watching it, yeah, I mean, it don't. I mean. Because I've seen Blade Runner a few times, and yeah, yeah it don't it. it I, I think it jives, it gels. I think with the with the, yeah. the what the movie, but um, but yeah, talk about. So this was like their first movie that they discussed in this documentary where it resonates like to to today. Because what a couple years ago they put out the sequel to oh, Blade yeah. Runner, Blade yeah. Runner twenty forty nine. Yep. Yeah, and it just goes to show you just the impact of these these sci-fi films. That I mean, they're that they're um, they're going strong today. It's it, they're never going to go away. So yeah, that's why I, I just I, I love the creativity behind it because some things of old from years ago can. Um, can translate to today's audience and yeah. and and blade runner was yeah one of one of those ones that um it it, it worked uh, to bring it back w- with a sequel so um i'm yeah. glad it um got um highlighted um in this documentary yeah and a lot of the films that um we've we've talked about jurassic world on previous episodes a lot of the films like that 
get kind of a line of toys or collectibles and yeah. uh, you see a, a lot of kids kind of follow and you see in stores these uh, big uh, box stores where they come out with toys around a movie. I think the next one's maybe the first, and um, I'm not going to say only, but um, the first where an actual toy company decided everything in the movie because of the toys that they were going to sell. So Mattel Toys did all of the costume designs, all of the vehicle designs, all of that for a movie from 1982 called Megaforce. So I have never seen this. I've actually seen, uh, I think it's got a physical release. I can't remember who from, either Vinegar Syndrome or somebody I think has a physical release of this one. But I never knew the story of Mattel Toys deciding everything for this movie. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But again, this is geared specifically for kids and marketing for the toys that they were going to sell. Yeah, I I found that kind of odd that <laughs> that you know some toy company could dictate like yeah a costume and um, yeah. have that much kind of power and authority on and especially because when I hear that title of a movie Megaforce like I mean it screamed low budget to me I'd never even heard of it uh, I don't have you had you I had heard, heard of, it? of it but I've not watched it and I like I say I remember seeing one of the boutique labels I think pick it up and release it either recent maybe it's a shout factory release i don't know but i'm i'm thinking there's a physical release that has has been of this and that's the only reason that i had heard of the movie never watched it don't own it yeah who was what was his name that's the the main the main you know i can't remember i didn't jot his name down but he was in a lot of the interviews and was actually in a lot of uh the movies that kind of was it Went throughout here. I can't was remember his Barry, name. Though. Barry, was it Barry Bostwick? Yeah, I can't remember. You might be right. I can't remember though. I didn't you know he, got it because he, he talked about he taught he mentioned briefly because you know he was in the cult movie Rocky Horror and then and then yes, he had mentioned yeah. I, I think it was Barry Bostwick okay. yeah because he talked about wearing the spandex yeah and, that's right uh, Barry Bostwick yeah yeah and he was a very I mean he was yeah throughout um, especially the eighties and the seventies yeah he was in a uh, um, he was in a lot of films and TV as well, but yeah. So I yeah, I hadn't heard that one. The next one I have heard of actually have a Disney release of it, and um, everybody knows it. I'm sure 1982 Tron. Have you watched Tron? Yeah. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah okay. yeah, I got a Blu-ray copy of it. Yeah, it was one of just those um, cutting so- edge. Yeah, oh yeah, very innovative. Never seen before. Like there was yeah. never a movie before its time to come out like that with the graphics and. Um, I mean, it was I- a it was a movie about computers because the programmer was sucked into that digital world, right? I found it interesting because they talked about Easter eggs with a few of the movies, but this one in particular, like they've got a scene with Pac Man on one of the games that they showed, and then <laughs> yeah. they have like a flyover scene on one of the digital worlds and it's got the head of mickey mouse as they fly over you can see it so i mean those are things you don't really notice or pick up as you watch the movie but then as you kind of watch these documentaries those are things you learn just because they're so subtle and it's something you don't really notice as as you're watching it but it was like um 
a, uh, a collide of, I forget one of the guys on there was like, it, it was a collide of science and theology with this movie. And it was, uh, an F you to the rest of Hollywood. They said, cause they didn't know if this was going to be successful or not. Yeah. It, um, what made me think of it, um, uh, when they were discussing it and it really made me think of how, um, it's been kind of, it's kind of a film that's kind of influential now in um, uh, kind of today's modern era because you kind of see uh, a little bit, you see hints of it in uh, Spielberg's uh, film that he came out with a couple of years ago, Ready Player One. I'm yeah. sure you've seen Ready oh, yeah. Player One. Yeah. And they they both, um, it, it just shows you how like some of these sci- 80s sci-fi films um really um uh not just have an influence but do have an effect on uh some of the sci-fi films of today and um and and i think that's just a uh such a big benefit and and i think that's probably the legacy of um a film like tron yeah. you know it, it's able to um carry over all these years later that you can um bring out a film similar to it but have a whole completely different uh, story or idea. Yeah. So we talked a lot about marketing, and that's where they take a break here before jumping into 83 and talk about marketing the movies. So we had already touched on there wasn't anything like the Internet back then that you could market. The only thing that from the cinema was the VHS box, and a lot of that you see carried on with um, Blu-ray releases today, with a lot of the boutique labels that we purchase physical media from, they they do that original art. They do some new uh, some new kind of um, commissioned artwork that they put in a lot of their releases. But back then, it was through like magazines. So they talked a lot about um, the cinema going to VHS box art, and then a lot of the magazines that gave a lot of like the behind the scenes features that. A lot of the releases we buy now, we are, I think, extremely blessed to have loaded up with bonus features. But back then, you didn't have anything like that. So where you wanted to get additional details or behind-the-scenes stuff, you had to go in, like I think Star Wars had a fan club at the time, or magazines that would give you behind-the-scenes discussions with the actors or the directors or learn just additional things about the movies through those avenues and then it it also carried into like we talked about with music in the the movies where mtv got involved and they would do like a video like you think of back to the future there was a actual music video with huey lewis and uh and and uh music video for that movie because he had a lot of music in it but that MTV would run that had kind of images of Marty and Doc and and they would make these videos around the movies. And that was a way to advertise uh, movies as well or bring awareness to movies. But then it was like as you watched movies, which you talked about, you would see products. You would see like uh, the dehydrated pizza that they were going to put in the uh hydrating oven in back to the future say pizza hut on it or you would see uh um like with one of the movies we'll talk about uh mcdonald's 
plays a big part in it. Uh, the movie Mac and Me, which is is uh, one we'll touch on. Ronald McDonald played a big part in that. You've seen a lot of advertisers in movies, too, trying to sell their products and then market the movie as well. So it was a different world back then than what we know it today with the instant access to the Internet that we've got. Yeah, the the marketing was, um, I, I think, probably the biggest, um, the biggest thing. Uh, studios it, it was their um, um, especially like you said with the music videos and the products it just really helped keep um, those films kind of uh, in the news and um, had people talking because yeah I, there was no internet back then there was no way to uh, promote uh, these movies and so they kind of had to get creative and I think I think it was genius to, especially like with the Reese's Pieces and ET. I mean, you're you're giving you're putting money into the pockets of all these companies. Yeah, and and it's and it's and it's also helping uh, people go to the movie theater. So yeah, they they were um, very uh, uh, important tools to um, definitely get people into the theaters uh, to see these different films. So 1983 was not a big year of movies that I was aware of, other than, I think, one on the list. So I'm going to run through these real quick, and then I'm going to I'm gonna skip one and put it at the end so that we can talk a little bit more about it. But the movies I wasn't aware of, um, which I'm going to look into a little bit more from 83, first one was Space Hunter 3D, uh, the next one, War Games. The next one, Superman 3, which, I mean, I knew Superman. Uh, Strange Invaders. But the big one of that year was The Return of the Jedi, Star Wars. And I I didn't know some of what they shared with Star Wars. Um, One, they used uh, the fake name Blue Harvest as they were doing uh, their filming at, at the location. So they, they kind of thought that was funny when all of them would go to a restaurant or something. They'd be like, well, they're filming Star Wars. It's like the fake name wasn't going to help out anyways because everybody knew the actors by that time. But also um, with Boba Fett being kind of the, the original plan for him to be the next big villain ca- character, but decided to take it in a different direction with that character and then George Lucas's plan uh, for that one to really be the end of it all. Obviously that didn't happen and look at where star Wars is now, uh, especially after Disney has, has purchased all of those rights and what they've done with even the offshoots of the stories. Speaking of Boba Fett, uh, a whole Disney plus uh, series specifically for that character. So I, I think that was definitely a big year for, uh, Star Wars, but any of those others? Um, did were you aware of any of those others besides Superman? Obviously, everyone's aware of Superman, but um, any of the other ones that were mentioned there? Oh yeah, my, one of my favorite films. I had um, uh, picked it up a while back on Blu-ray. I brought it up to you. Uh, is uh, War Games with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy? Yeah, War Games plays with the idea of the start of a nuclear war in the hands of a hacker, you know, um, it's, um, so it was about a supercomputer and the fear of 
a hacker getting in to actually cause destruction. And one of the things with that one, like they were arresting known hackers at the time out of fear of what this movie did as a result of, hey, this guy could actually cause significant damage if he hacks into our nuclear weapons. Yeah, these these this especially this movie specifically was reflecting in real life what was going on. I mean, it um it yeah it kind of um opened the eyes a little bit for the government to know that I mean this could really happen in real life. This could be a reality thing. Someone could get their hands on um, these nuclear codes, and it could it could cause um, panic, and it could cause missiles being shot off that um, aren't supposed to be. So it was a very unique um, story that um, uh, that got put out. It, and it um, it was it was kind of successful. Um, it had a little bit of uh, commercial success and um, and there wasn't uh, when it came out there wasn't any other film like it. Um, it, it, it did, there was no film that was um, out there that had this idea of um of nuclear war so um it yeah it's definitely one um where did you pick it it up from where did you find it i just got it i just regular uh, blu-ray release yeah i got off amazon there's no 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 boutique labels put it out but it's one probably should i think it should have a uh a better release but the release i did pick up it's got quite a bit of special features some pretty good documentaries where they actually go to norad and talk to a lot of the uh, officers at work at that uh nuclear base and it's very it's a uh pretty interesting um discussions on these uh real life issues because the producers actually went into norad because they wanted their set to look identical to what it would be like in that setting, right? Okay. Uh, so when NORAD came and visited the movie set, they were in shock. They couldn't believe that um, they, you know, they said their systems are weren't uh, is they weren't big like they didn't have all these screens and all these computers. They said they they really um, uh, it, they really did it uh, true. Like it, it's a real really good portrayal of what it would be like um at, at that norad base hmm. yeah so, i'm gonna have to check that one out for sure i yeah i i don't have a copy of it but it did sound interesting with what they were sharing on there so what about star wars oh well, there's so much to say <laughs> about star wars um it was yeah it was um like we had said a little bit ago it's it's good to harrison ford came back right um it um I, I was I was very happy with um, how George Lucas ended it this trilogy the end of the story it, it um is uh, very satisfying and I love I'll tell you what without talking about the whole entire movie I'll, I'll just say I, I what what kind of left in a, uh, a lasting impression on me was probably one of those last scenes with um, Luke you know removing Darth Vader's helmet, you know, his father and that, uh, especially moments like that was, um, kind of like what ET did as well. What I mentioned a little bit ago. Um, you really feel something in that moment. I mean, he, uh, he never knew his father. And then all of a sudden he, it's revealed that his father's the 
this bad dude that rules the galaxy <laughs> as this evil um, uh, leader of the empire. I mean, uh, it, it that's uh, that's a lot to take in for like anybody. Uh, so you you really um, felt kind of what Luke was feeling, like. Uh, everyone else was against him, but he's like, you know, this is still my father. It's still my dad. So, yeah. uh, I, I love that, um, idea of them, um, kind of like before Darth Vader dies, because, you know, when Luke takes his helmet off, I mean, that, that kills his father. I mean, yeah. his life support is that helmet and that mask. Cause you know, you see it, um, um, that, you know, years later, you see in like Revenge of the Sith episode three, where Anakin they put him in the Darth Vader suit, and uh, but that's like his life support. And but it really, yeah, that that scene with Luke and Darth Vader, it just really, um, it was a very um, kind of what you'd said before, very heartwarming uh, moment, I think, in uh, sci fi cinema, like it just. Oh, I mean, it just speaks volumes, really. Yeah, and a lot of what they used in that and several of the other ones, which is kind of where they shift to next with the chapter break, is talking about VFX movie magic and a lot of what you've seen with that film and several others, but really in particular with Star Wars, the technologies that they use, but also the miniatures that really made the film larger than life because it was like how if it going to see this for the first time was had to be breathtaking just to think of how did they even do this and then as you learn of how they they made the movies and the magic kind of within it they used miniatures they did matte paintings right and then this was kind of early on with the start of computer-generated graphics or images with digital graphics. And then a lot of, um, like, go motion they described that they used within the film. So it was very innovative, innovative in their approach with a lot of these science fiction films. One of the things that was pretty interesting they touched on was uh, Lucasfilm Computer Division being sold off to Pixar. And they had a little snippet of uh, Luxo Jr., which was a 1986 uh, clip about the kind of lamp graphic that Pixar uses was a computer-generated, fully computer-generated graph generated graphic that was used to make that, which then eventually would become Toy Story, which was so groundbreaking with the movie that they had there and a lot of the computer graphics that followed. So we're definitely in shifting times, but it was a unique time because they were using all kinds of different ways to make the movies come to life and be so magical. So it gets us into a pretty, um, a pretty jam packed year with 1984. I will say this is the year I was born. So it's definitely a year that is um, of interest to me, but getting to hear what movies came out in that time was just wow there it was a can you imagine uh being in that year and all of these kind of groundbreaking movies coming out in the theaters during that time the first one they talked about was star trek 3 and this was the search for spock i I didn't actually know christopher lloyd was in that one i guess i i just um 
I, I haven't seen it in so long. I totally forgot he was even in the movie. And he plays yeah. like one of the major parts as the villain, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of I didn't know he was in it either, but it's kind of hard to know he's in it when he's in full makeup. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, you could tell yeah. it was him, though, after they mentioned it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that right. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's that. That's a true uh, testament to the makeup uh, crew. Uh, oh yeah, they. Yeah, I think they uh, did a fantastic job in um, in uh, in especially his character in bringing that out. Because yeah, I never would have known until if they <laughs> if they'd pointed it out. I I never would have guessed it was him at all. Yeah, me neither. The next one that that was such a classic that they talked about was Ghostbusters, and. I mean, wow, talk about a great comedy that just spawned cartoons, additional sequels, toys, just such a successful movie there in Ghostbusters. Yeah, it was um, very, uh, I think it was one of those kind of generational films um, for a lot of people because, you, like you said, yeah, you see it um, uh, like years later, you see these new films uh, sequels come out these new films of ghostbusters but you see it in um it's just it ghostbusters all i've always put it up there with a couple films as being pop culture yeah meaning you you see it in all sorts of uh entertainment avenues i mean you see it in like netflix's probably most popular uh show on the streaming service stranger things yeah. and it, it's very it's highlighted in um, in that show and and you see it everywhere you see that uh something else we brought up earlier um they made a music video of i mean what yeah. think about the song that, that was that was a chart topping song that was probably yeah. number one on the billboards classic when it came out after the movie came out yeah that song i think it was probably number one in the top 40 but it just goes to show you the um uh if you kind of can because the director kind of touched on a little bit that Ivan, um, what was his name? Actually, he was. Uh, they dedicated this documentary to him yeah, he because had I think away he had, during the yeah yeah this last this year I think earlier yeah. this year yeah. So the doc this documentary was in memory of uh, the Ghostbusters director, but he had mentioned that you know when the story was brought to him, it was a completely different idea. It yeah. was a completely different concept. And he toyed with the idea of, well, hey, let's set it in present day and let's put it in New York City. Because I really think this film would be a lot different and probably not be as remembered as much as if it was a different story. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the location, the setting, the time, it was, it was like what you just mentioned, being pop culture. It is something that continues to be a classic because of location yeah. setting that they had. So definitely in vehicle success. Vehicle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Talk about the, like that vehicle is, I mean, everybody knows the Ghostbusters car. Well, that was the and thing I, about like, you look at the cover of this Blu-ray yes. and that's what you see. It's all the different vehicles that were part Iconic. of those movies. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's what makes them. I mean, you think of, uh, the Millennium Falcon, you think of the DeLorean, you think of all of the, the, the Enterprise, all of these different the, films. Yeah, even the RV from Spaceballs, yes. you know? <laughs> That's right, that's right. 
So, um, talking about Nick Castle, I, here was another film he directed I wasn't aware of, a video game fantasy film, The Last Starfighter. Have you? I, I think Arrow's got I, a release of it. Yeah, I, um, I don't own it. I haven't seen it, but I have heard of it. And that's another one, like, I'm, I mean, yeah, I've got a list of films that I'm going to be picking up <laughs> yeah. soon. But you're right, hey, yeah, is, Arrow has a yeah, pretty is, good release of it. Is The Adventure of Buckaroo Bonanza or Bonsai? No, Buckaroo Bonsai on your list that you're going to check out? That was the next one. I <laughs> uh, I don't know. I kept that off my list. Yeah, yeah some of the clips they showed, it, uh, I wasn't... I, didn't, I think uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I'll be watching the Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah. But now the next one I have watched quite a bit. The second one being my favorite, but this one, the first one, the Terminator, James James Cameron, talk about a very unique film that just had all kinds of things in it: uh, propulsion, annihilation, mystery, suspense, romance, time travel. This was such a, a classic film uh, with the main actor, Sarah Connor, uh, giving birth to the savior of the future. And we see that played out in the sequel as well, and then see many other sequels that followed with The Terminator. But talk about another iconic kind of pop culture success with The Terminator and Terminator 2. Um, and what James Cameron does, just phenomenal, phenomenal director. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, this film really um, made him a household name. And this film was, like, so ahead of its time. Like, it really, yeah, dealt with um, the future and uh, and tomorrow. And it talk about the effects. Um, the future and uh, tomorrow, but right now played out with individuals back in our time now trying to have an impact of what the future is going to be like. Very, yeah. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah. With that idea of like, yeah, time travel, it was so, um, especially when it came out, it was very, very unique. And, uh, but what I love, what really stood out to me in Terminator was, uh, the, the effects and, and the makeup I absolutely loved. And we've talked about it in the past with, uh, one year, um, Oh yeah, you know, for Halloween yeah. you went as Terminator. Yeah. Now I didn't know that they molded the uh, the metal uh, skeletons after Arnold's uh, yeah. kind of fate. Like they did a mold of his head and then carved it down to what his skull and actually the teeth in those machines are molded yeah. after his teeth, which was yeah. another interesting fact I wasn't yeah. aware of. It, it was one of those. Um, uh, they just had such groundbreaking um special effects in it and um and there again it's another franchise that i mean uh, uh, these studios have went back to time and time again you you mentioned terminator and terminator 2 but they've had multiple sequels yeah so it's definitely a franchise that um has stood the test of time and it still works in today's uh modern modern era so have you seen this next film because i have not but it's very i'm very intrigued by it because it's the follow-up to 2001 a space odyssey and this one being 2010 the year we made contact yes i um years ago i had bought i actually um found uh 
Blu-ray copy of it uh, years ago um, at a at a Goodwill of all places because <laughs> I never knew that they had made a sequel I to either. one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time from one of the greatest directors of all time, Stanley a, Kubrick. Yeah, but a different director for this one, and he didn't want it to be which he 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 talked with and uh, Stanley basically said make it your own film, which he does because he didn't want it to be just a. Um, a remake of the original Kubrick film because there's no way he could, he says there's no way he could step up to the, the plate of a Stanley Kubrick and with what he, it, it kind of had some ties back to it, but the, the story that he put together looked very interesting. So this is one you've watched then. Yes, I do. Yeah. I I've had it. Um, like I said, I bought it a few years ago. I, I've had yeah, I got on Blu-ray. So um, how does it stack up then with the original 2001? It's a lot. Okay, so it's very, it is very different, a lot different than uh, Kubrick's uh, 2001. Um, and I mean, I, in my opinion, yeah, it obviously Stanley Kubrick's 2001 is a classic. Um, but it still it had going. It, it still had how the computer in the film yes. though, right? And oh, yeah, played yeah. as the hero of, of this one, if I'm not mistaken, is what they yeah, mentioned. Yeah, still has the computer system of HAL uh, that's yeah. on the uh, on the spaceship. But um, it is. It's a very um, um, a much different story uh, than 2001. Um, okay. But it's, um, it's a good – I mean, it's a good sequel. It's a good follow-up. But um, I'll have to check it, it out. It's on my list yeah. uh, to definitely check out. Now, this one I have watched. I've got a couple copies of it that I recently picked up. Arrow had recently released a limited edition box set and a 4K release of Dune. And again, this is one we've seen uh, have a recent remake because it's just yeah. such a phenomenal film uh, that's based on a great book, uh, but definitely was was different for the time that it was in and it was just um uh, it's kind of what they described it was like a metaphor of the middle east and oil with the story that they were they were trying to uh portray in it and it's dune is just such a classic film i and this is not one that you've watched right you haven't seen dune uh no i have not yeah this one actually has been on my list for okay. a while to pick up um the original and I, I i would like to see the remake as well yeah uh, the new one the remake was was great also i mean we've seen several academy awards that it was nominated for so definitely a good one uh, and then the last one of 84 and then we're gonna definitely be picking up some speed here hopefully uh well run. hey I, well i was gonna say i think 1984 would be a great stopping point oh okay. because we're probably well over an hour <laughs> We are. Yeah. So let's wrap up, um, and then we'll get... This, this would be five years. We could maybe do a part two for the there rest of the doctor. Let's do that. So listeners, you don't have to stick around for our three-hour review of a five-hour yeah. documentary. Uh, yeah. So rounding it out, Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons in Runaway will wrap us up for 1984. Is this one you've checked out? So, this is one that... Um, I've never seen it, but I heard of it because I'm a big Kiss fan. Yeah. Um, and this was actually the only movie or only role that Gene Simmons um, ever 
ad. He was he, this was the only movie he was ever in. And it's funny, his story of how he got the role was all he had to do was uh, give this director a look, and and he's like, oh yeah, you you got the part then. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so he got was funny. like one of the easiest roles <laughs> that anyone had ever gotten in the history of movies. You know. Yeah. Didn't even have to say a word. Yeah, that's good. I, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, but from the from the looks of it, it looks kind of low budget, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, so th- there you have but, it. We've got part one in the books of uh, our review of In Search of Tomorrow. Part two will be coming out uh, to you shortly. We'll we'll do a part two of this. That way we can um, kind of cut halfway because, off right here because there's just so much to talk about. Yeah, well, and I think part two we're going to be kicking it off in a a, probably the most important year 1985 and we're going to be talking about probably the biggest film that was discussed in this documentary yeah so so hang in there listeners we'll we'll touch on um practical creature effects movies in the in 85 and so much more uh because they're yeah i'm looking through my list of movies through those years and there's just so much to talk about well, and one big thing, too, that we'll probably go into great detail on is uh, score and soundtrack of oh, these yeah. films. Because that was a big chapter, too, was music played such a huge part in these sci-fi films. Yep, and uh, it's definitely changed with the films that we see nowadays versus what they did then. But that will be coming in part two. So uh, if you haven't yet subscribe make sure you do so if you haven't yet jumped over to check out 80s sci-fi doc.com that's where you can get a copy of a physical copy of in search of tomorrow we would highly recommend this we will definitely be talking about our ratings and whatnot of this documentary but it is definitely worth the money you'll spend to get this so head on over there check it out and we'll be back for a part two which we'll pick up in 1985 and carry us out through the rest of the decade anything uh in closing ryan uh just that yeah um people need to yeah jump in on their having it up for sale through uh creator vc's um website uh because it's very limited i i think the when they pull this sell up i think it will probably only run about a month so, you know, people need to get in while they can if they really want to be able to view this documentary and own a physical Because I know people, you know, you'll be able to stream it, but it, it's uh, so much different when you are when you own a physical copy of it because you get that awesome, the artwork and... Um, yeah, uh, they don't hold back on this for sure. They, they give yeah. you it definitely, if, if you're picking up a physical copy of it, you're definitely getting, getting your money's worth. So... I would uh, highly recommend getting it while you can because the time's going to be limited on being able to get it. If you haven't done so, also check us out on all, all of our socials on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and of course Letterbox because we've got two uh, two reviews coming out on a weekly basis. There's so many movies that uh, Ryan's reviewing from the couch, but also movies that are hitting hitting the theaters that we're kind of giving some feedback on as well so check that out there's a lot of different places you can find us uh let us know what you think of the show let us know some ideas if there's uh any as you get this and you take as you start watching it let's talk about it see what you guys think 
um, as you dive in, or even on some of these other movies in the 80s that we haven't mentioned that are classics to you that you want to share with us, definitely get them on our list to kind of take a look and uh, review. So until next time, we'll be back with part two of In Search of Tomorrow. Peace out.